This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Welcome to another episode of the One Verse Podcast. I am Jeremy Myers. I'm recording this on Wednesday of Holy Week. Earliest you'll be able to listen to it is tomorrow, Thursday. And I hope that as you do, you have a wonderful Easter weekend, remembering not only the crucifixion of Jesus, but also his resurrection. Works out well that this is Easter weekend because we're talking about Jesus Christ and him crucified today when we look at the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil. The tree reveals something critically important about human nature, and we're going to see what that is and how you and I eat from that tree almost every single day. More importantly, though, how Jesus, through his crucifixion, invites us to stop eating from this forbidden tree. Along those lines, I really want to invite you, encourage you to go get a copy of my book, The Atonement of God. It's not uh, just only for the Easter season, but really for the whole year. The truths in there are for all year long. And I'm going to be mentioning something today when we look at Genesis 2, 16 and 17, about how God freely and unconditionally forgives everybody for all their sins. No matter what. If that's a challenging idea for you, you might want to get a copy of my book and read it, because in it I explain more about what the Bible teaches about forgiveness. So just go to Amazon, search for The Atonement of God by Jeremy Myers. It's available in paperback or ebook. Let's turn to our study then to see what we can learn about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil from Genesis 2, 16 and 17. Oh, before I do that, though, I want to thank Dallas Mavs1294 for a great review on iTunes. He writes this, Far too often we as Christians read the Bible through a lens of religion. This can cause doubts about the God we serve and can keep us from truly understanding who God is. Reading the Bible this way robs the Bible of its mystery, history, and spirituality. Jeremy helps us read each verse through the context of who wrote it, who it was written to, and then carefully understanding the context of each verse. I love this podcast, and I would recommend it to everyone I meet. You can tell Jeremy has researched and carefully studied theology for many years. But the thing that I love about Jeremy's approach to Scripture the most is how he understands God ultimately through the person of Jesus Christ. I am so grateful for Jeremy. He has encouraged my faith and has helped me understand just how good God really is. If you are looking for a Christ-centered, Trinitarian, biblical approach to understanding the Bible, then this is the podcast for you. Wow, thank you so much for that that uh, rating and review on iTunes. And that is an encouragement to me. I, I don't know who Dallas Mavs is, um, but thank you so much for that review. You have no idea how, how encouraging that is to me. For And that's my goal, to have a Christ-centered approach to explaining scriptures so that your life and your theology can look more and more like Jesus Christ, to be an encouragement to you. Show God as he really is through the person and work of Jesus. So thank you for that. In his book, Repenting of Religion, Greg Boyd relates something that happened in his life, which... I, When I read it, I recognized that it happens in mine, and as I sort of tell it to you, what he noticed, I think that you will discover that this sort of thing happens in your life also. Now, in this particular incident, what was happening is he went down, he went shopping with his uh, wife to the mall, 
And since he is like most men, he hates shopping. And so what he did is he told his wife he's going to go down to the food court and get a Coke and just sit there and wait for her to finish. And that's what he did. And he says that as he was sitting there, watching the people walk by as he's sipping on his Coke, he noticed that he had this sort of running commentary that went through his head about the people that walked by. You know what I'm talking about. You have had this as well. As you sat at the park and watched people, you know, parents have picnics and play with their kids. As you sat in the airport and watched people uh, bustle on their way, hustle on their way to get to their, their, their gate. Uh, as you as you maybe sat in the mall and watched the high school kids and the junior high kids and the busy moms walk by or the, the, the hurried businessman or something, you've had these conversations. You see the person with the dark makeup and the dyed hair and the, all the piercings all over their face, and you make judgments about them based on their appearance. You see the mother with the unruly children, and you make judgments about what kind of mother she is and where those children will end up in life unless she, you know, starts to discipline them. You see that businessman who's hurrying on his way, and his suit is all rumpled, and his, his face is all stressed out, and you think, okay, he's either had a bad day at work, and he's got bad news to give his wife, he got laid off, or, or maybe he's trying to get a job, maybe he's late, for, you know, you just, you start to make these, these judgments about people based on next to nothing, almost no information about them. We all do this. Sometimes it's not even conversations we have in our heads. Sometimes as you're taking a walk with your spouse or your kids, you, you make judgments about neighbors you don't even know, you've never even met. But because they haven't mowed their lawn in two weeks, you know, you start to make judgments about them. Or they, they don't weed their flower garden or, or, or they haven't washed their car, whatever it might be. You start to make judgments about them based on just the tiniest fraction of information. And the thing is, is the, one of the reasons we do this is... is you know, just from life experience, as we get to know people, even as, as we make judgments about our neighbors or something, initial judgments, and then we get to know them, we often feel or think that our judgments are accurate, that they, that they turn out to be true. Our initial snap judgment turns out to be accurate. And so that sort of gives us the justification to judge other people, make these snap decisions about other people based on almost no information whatsoever about them. Greg Boyd points out, and he's absolutely right, that the reason we do this, the reason we look at other people and make determinations about them, their circumstances, their history, their future, and their character, the reason is because we have eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's the tree that we are discussing today. We are introduced to this tree in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, and we began to talk about it last week when we began to look at these verses, but I felt I thought that the information we know about this tree is so important I wanted to push it off so we could devote this entire episode to it today. So the first thing to note about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is why it's in the garden in the first place. Don't think for a second that the reason the tree of knowledge of good and evil is in the garden is because God put it there to tempt humans. God, he does not tempt anyone, nor, nor is he himself tempted. So he didn't put the tree in the garden to, you know, tempt us to sin. He didn't put it even there to test us to see if we really are going to love him. God doesn't play those games. Never imagine for a second that that's what God is doing when temptation comes into your life. He doesn't play those games. The reason God placed this tree 
in the garden is to remind us that although we were made in his image and likeness, and although we are to carry out his work in this world, there is still a vast difference between him and us. The the tree is there to remind us that we are not God. He alone is God. And there are some things that belong to God alone. As we've been going through Genesis, I've been pointing out these activities, these actions of God. And you might remember from Genesis chapter 1, I think I've even mentioned a couple times in Genesis chapter 2, that there are these seven key activities that we see God doing in Genesis 1. And then what we're going to see, and we're already starting to see some of them, is that God takes these seven key activities and gives them to humans, to humanity, to you and to me, to carry out, to put into practice in this world as, his, as the image and likeness of God on earth, as, as the priesthood, as the, the statue of Yahweh on earth. We are to take the things we see God doing in Genesis 1 and then go do them also. Now, the temptation there, though, is to begin to think that because we do the things God does, that therefore we are God. We are like God. And the thing is, we are like God. We're made in his image and likeness. But the tree is there to remind us that there are some things. There are boundaries. Let's put it that way. There are limits on how far we are to go in being like God. And the tree is there to remind us of that. God put this tree in the garden, not because he was trying to keep something good away from us, but because what he was trying to do is show us that there is a boundary in how far like God we are supposed to be. He put the tree there to give us something uh, that shows you can go this far and no further. It's a boundary. It's a limit. It's a reminder that we are not gods, and so we should allow God alone to be God in the areas that he has reserved for himself. And that area is the knowledge of good and evil. And that brings up the point. A lot of people say, well, this this knowledge of good and evil? God doesn't know anything about evil, so how could he have created this, and why would he put it there? No, the thing is, is God knows everything about evil. He doesn't sin. He himself is not tempted by sin, nor does he sin, okay? But that doesn't mean he's ignorant of sin or evil. So he does know about good and evil. And so this tree, as the knowledge of good and evil, is sort of representative of something God has. The tree itself is not evil. It came from God. It was created by God. And as we've seen in Genesis 1, Genesis 2, everything in that God created was good. It was very good at the end of the creation week. So, since God created this tree, and it came from God, and was part of God's good creation, the tree itself is good. And the tree, the the, the knowledge that the tree represents, is something that God has. Although God, he, he doesn't sin, he cannot sin, he will not sin, he never sins. That doesn't mean he is ignorant about sin. God knows everything about sin and evil which is why God was able to warn us against it. So we can say that this knowledge of good and evil is something God has. It's something that belongs to God. Uh, It's something that he uses to to, to rule and govern this world rightly. Even, Even though God doesn't perform evil, he still has knowledge of evil, and he uses this knowledge 
to rule the world in righteousness. So, so what this tree is representing is a special type of knowledge that God has reserved for himself alone. It is a type of knowledge, or it's an activity of God, that God does not want humans to share with him in. Okay, It's not because he is withholding something good from us. That's the temptation that the serpent gives to Eve later in chapter 3. You know, that God's holding something good back from us. That's not the case at all. The reason God reserves this activity, this action, for himself is because he knows that we cannot handle this type of knowledge. And while at this point in the text, we really aren't given all the sort of this information that I'm sharing with you, I, I'm presenting it here because it, it forms a good foundation, a basis for what we see in the rest of chapter 2 and then going on into chapter 3 and chapter 4. And based on what we see in Genesis chapter 3 and, and even in the rest of Scripture, I think what we can say is that the knowledge of good and evil is the activity of judging between right and wrong. And that's something God alone is able to do. The knowledge of good and evil is the action of deciding between what is good and what is evil. And as I indicated, this is something, I indicated this at the beginning of the episode, you know, that story from Greg Boyd. This, this judging between good and evil, right and wrong, it's something that we humans think we can do. But the reality is quite the opposite. History and experience shows that more often than not, we humans are almost 180 degrees wrong as far as what is good and what is evil. Very often we call evil good and good evil. Uh, in fact, a lot of times the evil... We- this is the crazy thing. The evil we condemn and see in other people is often the exact same evil that we excuse and forgive in ourselves. We see it in ourselves and we say, oh, well, you know, you have to understand the circumstances in life and the way I was raised and I was having, a, you know, I didn't get much sleep and, and you know, opportunity, things that happen at my work and, and I'm sick. And so that's why I behave this way. We justify it, we forgive it, we overlook it. But when we see that same activity in somebody else, we go, oh, how could they do that? How could they have done that, acted that way, said that? Don't they have any self-control? Don't they know how horrible that is? Very often, the, the thing we condemn and accuse in other people is the same thing we have in our own lives uh, that we overlook and forgive. I see this happen in the presidential election. What a circus this thing is. I don't know who your favorite candidate is, but... I find it highly ironic that—let's put it this way. Um, I listen to what Hillary and Bernie say about Trump and Cruz. You know, that they are hate-mongering tyrants of, you know, of, the, of the devil. You know, that's, that comes from the Christians. Um, the, the, they're racist, and, you know, they should be drug out in the street and shot. If, if you listen to some of the things Trump and Cruz and, and their followers say, though— about Hillary and Bernie, you know, they're, they're criminals, they're, they're hate-mongering tyrants of the devil, and they should be drug out in the street and shot. <laughs> um, I, I firmly believe, in fact, just do this, just for fun. Next time you hear something that someone says about one of the candidates, take the name out of the candidate, you know, whoever's being criticized, and then flip it around, and I guarantee that you can also find followers who are saying the same exact thing about the opposite candidate. So, so you, 
if someone's criticizing Trump, then take that that take the word Trump out of it and put in Hillary in there and and you'll find some followers of Trump who are saying the same exact thing about Hillary. That's what I'm trying to say here. The, 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 the truth of human history is that we always judge and condemn other people for the very same things that they judge and condemn in us. The truth is that in most human conflicts, our enemy is our twin. We condemn them for doing the very same things that we are doing to them. Well, how could you treat me that way? So then you turn around and you treat them the same way they have treated you. It's not necessarily that we're wrong in our judgments, but what we're doing is we're calling evil, something evil in someone else, and then we call it good in ourselves. We're judging others by a different standards than the one we use to judge ourselves. And why is that? Well, again, it, it's, it's because we know our own history. We know the emotions that we experience, the circumstances that we've gone through, the, the, what's happening at work and in our family and in our marriage, within our children and with our health. Right? And, and all of those circumstances led us to make the decision, and maybe it was a poor decision, but it led us to make the decision that we made. And so we forgive ourselves. We justify our actions most of the time. But we don't know all of this stuff the, the emotions, the circumstances, the experiences, the history of anybody else, unless they're really close to us. And so when we see that same behavior in someone else, we condemn them for it. Because we don't know their history. We know our own history, and so we excuse, justify, and forgive our own behavior, but we don't know the history of someone else, and so we accuse and condemn identical behavior in them. This is a result of eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here's the truth about this tree. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is us thinking we know what is good and what is evil, when in reality we do not. And why do we not know? Here's the reason. We do not know the difference between good and evil for the very same reason God does know. And why is that? Because we don't know everything. Just because, you know, just as we condemn and and excuse, and I'm sorry, not condemn, we we excuse and uh, forgive ourselves for actions that we condemn and accuse other people for committing, all right, and why do we do that? Because we know more of our own story than we know of theirs. But you, when you look at things from God's perspective, he knows our own story, our whole story, and he also knows the whole story and the circumstances of everybody else as well, because God knows everything. And so, since God knows everything, God alone truly knows what is good and what is evil. Therefore, it is not our job to judge. Instead, we are to leave all judgment up to God. Yes, don't hear me wrong. Yes, we, we can know some things about what is good and evil, especially when God tells us. That's one of the purposes of Scripture. But we ourselves normally do not have enough information about anyone or anything else to make judgments on our own. 
this is this is the truth, and this is what I one of the things I've talked about in the book. The reason God forgives everybody for all sins is because God knows all. The, the truth is that to know all is to forgive all. Just as we're often able to forgive ourselves because we know more of our own story, God knows all of our story and all the story of everybody else. And so just as we forgive ourselves because we know more of our own story, God forgives us also because he knows our whole story. And he also forgives everybody else because he knows their whole story. Someone else put it this way. I think it might have been Wayne Jacobson or maybe Darren Hufford. He says, there is no person you would not love if you only knew their story. God knows everybody's story, which is why God loves and forgives everybody. The reason we make bad judgments about people is because we don't know everything. The knowledge of good and evil can only be used, properly used, by someone who knows everything about everyone. And since we are not omniscient, since we do not have all knowledge, our judgments between good and evil are suspect. God alone is omniscient, and so God alone can make proper judgments. That's why God told us to stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, this is for me alone. I've given you these activities. They are my activities, these naming the animals and tending and redeeming and creating all these things I want you to do because you are in my image and likeness. But there's this one thing, deciding between good and evil. I'm reserving that for myself. Don't touch it. That is me. That is what I alone can do. This is what God is saying. And why can God alone do it? Because God alone knows everything. Yes, there are people in life, and you and I are among them, who make bad choices. They don't don't take care of themselves, who, who can't keep a job, who fail to raise their children, who don't pay their taxes, who commit All sorts of horrible crimes. Yes, it's all true. I'm not denying it for a second. But here's the thing. It is not our job to condemn them. We don't know their life circumstances. It's not getting them off the hook, right? There are consequences for sin. I'm not talking about any of that. I I talk more about it in my book, The Atonement of God. But the thing is, is God alone can judge people because God alone knows all their circumstances. Here's our job, not to judge, just to love. When it comes to what we can know with certainty about other people, the only thing we can know is what we see in Jesus Christ. And what is that? We are to know Christ and Him crucified. Now, that doesn't mean you just go around talking about the crucifixion all the time. That's not what Paul means at all when he says that in 1 Corinthians 2. 2. What it means, what Paul means, is that the... The only thing we can know is what Jesus Christ revealed on the cross. And it's this, that every single person on earth is completely loved and forgiven by God. To know Christ and him crucified means that God loves every single person on earth so much that he considers them worth dying for. To to know Christ and him crucified means that when we look at a person and, and all we see is evil, Right? We need to step back and make sure we're not eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. 
step back and recognize that if all I see is evil, then clearly what I see is wrong. What I see is not all there is. For God sees something in that person that makes them worth dying for, that makes them loved by God. Something God sees in that person makes them infinitely valuable so that he has forgiven them for for all their sin and sent Jesus to die for that person. To know Christ in him crucified is to step away from judging people as either good or evil. That one's good, that one's evil. That one's good, that one's evil. And instead, leave all such judgments up to God. In Jesus Christ, we see that God loves and forgives and died for all people. Yes, that person too. To know know Christ and him crucified is to stop trying to know good and evil and instead recognize that if Jesus loved that other person enough to die for them, then I am called to do nothing but love them also. If, If Jesus who is the only one who could condemn someone as evil, judge someone as evil, if he chooses to love and forgive them, then who are we to disagree with Jesus? Who are we to tell Jesus that his determination of that person was wrong? Who are we to say, no, Jesus, you shouldn't have died for him. He's too evil. This is why Jesus tells us not to judge. Uh, he, He says that he alone will be the judge. And what is his judgment? His judgment is that he is the light of the world and he has come into this dark world to reveal to us one thing, that God has nothing but love for us. Jesus, who alone could condemn us, this is what Paul writes in Romans 8, even though Jesus could condemn us, he doesn't and instead intercedes for us. You're walking down the street and you see a homeless person. What goes through your head? Oh, look at this guy. Get a job. Stop wasting your money on alcohol. In your meaner days, what a waste of oxygen. Jesus comes along and he says, Wow, look at him. Amazing. I love him so much. He is a perfect representation of the image of God on earth. He is my beloved. I would do anything for him. I would die for him. He is of infinite value to me, and all I have and all I am is at his disposal. Now, Jesus says that about the person we just accused as being a waste of oxygen. And we look at Jesus like he's crazy. And he just smiles and says, I'm not the crazy one. If you saw what I saw, you would think the same thing. So trust me. Let me be the judge. And in my judgment, I judge this man to be of unsurpassable worth. Jesus says the same thing, by the way, about you. If you ever feel like you don't have value, like nobody loves you, like you're too much of a sinner, that you've you've done too much for God to love you, Jesus says, no, let me be the judge of that. And I judge you worth dying for. I judge you forgiven, infinitely loved. I judge you accepted by God. And once we begin to see that that is how God feels toward us, we can then begin to see that is also how God feels toward 
our lazy neighbor, your backstabbing ex, your arrogant boss. Jesus says that about Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. (laughs) He says the same thing, you ready, about Judas Iscariot and Adolf Hitler. He says the same thing about you and me. Look, I know some of this might be a new concept for some of you. Uh, We're out of time for this episode, though, and I know I've probably raised more questions than I've answered, but don't worry, we're going to come back to this topic again in future episodes. Uh, Genesis 2, 3, and 4 brings this up over and over for us to see. We're going to see how Adam and Eve take this tree of knowledge of good and evil, the knowledge they gained, and start judging one another, even judging God. Then Cain does it. Lamech does it. Okay, it goes on and on. Now, between now and those future episodes, you can begin to see some of these truths about God's infinite love and forgiveness in my new book at Amazon. Just go to Amazon, search for The Atonement of God. That book, like this podcast, will help liberate you from the shackles of religion so that your life and theology can look more and more like Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for the reviews on iTunes. And I look forward to seeing you next time when we pick back up with Genesis chapter 2, verse 18.